Just how difficult will it be for Hunter Green to add a third pitch? Should Nicola Dolo abandon that back foot slider that he seems to love so much? And what makes Graham Ashcraft so good? Find out on today's Locked On Reds. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds with myself, Jeff Carr, and my co-host, Stephen Offenbaker, who is actually joined by the crafty lefty himself, Chris Welsh, joins us on today's show. We've actually got a two-part conversation beginning today and then finishing up tomorrow that Steve had the chance to sit down with Chris and break down the season, kind of look at some important things, some different developments, maybe some guys that the Reds ought to move on from, maybe some guys the Reds ought to take a bigger look at and we're going to start today with pitching here on the lockdown reds podcast which by the way we're part of the lockdown podcast network your team every day thanks for making us your first listen uh, because we are always free and available on all platforms uh, on today's episode kind of like i mentioned we begin our conversation with chris welsh where steve and chris talked about the pitching they talked about the rookie phenoms hunter green nick lodolo graham ashcraft and why Chris believes that it's really not going to be that difficult for Hunter Green to add that third pitch, the changeup that we all want him to add, that we all believe will get him to that level of just amazing ace pitching that we all know he can reach. He also talks a lot about Nick Lodolo and just how good this guy is already and why it's not going to take very long for him to reach that elite stage. And Graham Ashcraft, the bulldog of the three, and his mentality and how that has turned him into the dominant rookie pitcher that we saw in 2022 and what we hope to see out of these three moving forward. Plus, there's a little bit of Alexis Diaz talk as well. You know, I love that. That's all coming up on today's Locked On Reds podcast, which today is brought to you by Simply Safe with Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe. 24/7 monitoring agents capture evidence to accurately verify the threat for faster police response. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Visit simplysafe.com/lockedonmlb to learn more. All right, let's jump into Steve's chat with Chris Welsh. All right, I am so excited about today's episode that we have for you folks. Four years ago, uh, I was a, a rookie podcaster, and through a, a mutual contact, I reached out to today's guest, and for no good reason other than he's a true ambassador for baseball and a true ambassador for the Cincinnati Reds, he said yes and sat down with me, and uh, this will now make our fourth annual uh, end of season review episode. I am so excited to have him here. I tell you folks all the time on the show and on Twitter that he is one of the best in the business. He, the guy I'm talking about, of course, is the crafty lefty himself, the one and only Chris Welsh. Chris, how are you doing? Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, Steve, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, you, you read that uh, uh, little opening for me just the way I wrote it. So it's uh, perfect. You know, you're, you're, yeah. you're a skilled writer. I tell you what, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it seems like yesterday and it's actually been now before the pandemic that you and I sat on the beach of uh, uh, the Kahala coast 
having some coffee right. one morning talking res baseball. It was an interesting conversation, and I'm I'm delighted to be back with you here on your podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you being here. And let's let's start with time frames. You know, four years sounds like a lot, but you know, if I compare my four years to uh, to some other people's numbers, yours, uh, it's nothing. You are now the longest tenured broadcaster with the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, I I, I, I don't try not to look at it that way. Um, I remember being a young guy when they first hired me, I was in my mid thirties and I had no idea that I would last this long. You know, when you're a broadcaster, you, you have a series of one, two, maybe three year deals. Uh, you're really not sure from season to season, whether there's going to be a new general manager that wants a new broadcaster. Uh, maybe the owner wants to bring in somebody. Uh, we've had three different owners uh, while I've been there. So, uh, uh, knock on line and uh, kind of stay off the radar. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I say all the time that I think you're one of the best in the business. Every time I get to talk to you, I learn something about the game. Uh, every broadcast of yours that I watch, I learn something about baseball. So, uh, you know, I think you're tremendous at your job. So I'm excited to talk to you today about these young players that you got to watch through the course of a whole season and get your takeaways on, on many, as many as we can squeeze in, actually. Okay. Uh, I want to start with probably the most hyped of the young arms that came up this year, and that was Hunter Green. When spring training hit, you know, he was the talk of the town. Everybody could not wait to get a look at him. And, uh, you know, he had rocky patches, but he finished very, very strong. So I think I'd like to just give you kind of a blanket question and turn you loose. And that is this, you know, talk about what you saw in him and his development through the course of the 2022 baseball season. Well, I mean, when you think Hunter Green, you think 100 mile an hour fastballs, right? Uh, you, you think an ungodly amount of talent, which he has. Uh, you think about um, a really fine smooth pitching delivery. I mean, this kid's been well coached, okay? He's, um, he's a product of good coaching, uh, great parenting, um, nutrition, working out, complete dedication to his craft. And I said that from the very beginning that I think that Hunter Green's best asset is his willing to, willingness to work and really work hard at what it takes to become a great player. Uh, now, it doesn't hurt to have a a fastball that rises 101, 102 miles an hour either. But, you know, th that's only part of it. And, and I think that Hunter Green has come a long way. Uh, I think that Derek Johnson's done a nice job with him. Um, you know, some hitters will tell you when they face a guy that throws 100, yeah, I can see the ball. And other guys will say, well, you know, at 95, I can't even see the ball. Well, Hunter, for a while there, uh, he still throws a pitch that's rather flat when it's down in the zone. Uh, he's got a, something to learn, I think, with, how to place his fingers on the seams, how to release the ball, how to get a little movement, how to maybe change speeds a little bit. Not every pitch needs to be 100. But as we saw towards the end of the year, when he started elevating his fastball to a certain spot up and in and up in the, up in the zone, uh, it's basically unhittable. And uh, uh, that's a pretty good place to start. I think he's got a terrific future. We've heard several times with Hunter about – uh, his need to work on a true changeup, to work on changing speeds, like like you just mentioned. And I'm curious, you know, you've done this. You've been a big league pitcher. You know what it takes to get to the major leagues. Does it surprise you that he has risen as far as he's risen and, and doesn't really have that, that mixing of speeds, that changeup down pat already before he gets here? You know, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, put yourself in Hunter Green's shoes for a minute. 
all throughout your youth, you were the fastest throwing kid in the county, probably the state. So why would you ever learn anything else except the fastball? Because that's all you ever needed. I mean, he, he didn't pitch the last year or so in high school. He pitched in the minor leagues, really never learned to fast or learned a breaking pitch or a changeup. So now you're in the big pond with everybody else. And guys can turn on that 100-mile-an-hour fastball if it's in a good hitting zone, especially down in the zone for him. Uh, so it's just a matter of experience. It's not like I've got to go to the laboratory and figure out how to throw a changeup. It's like, what changeup is going to work for me? Is it this grip to start and then I modify it a little bit? Or is it this, this different grip? One of the tricks that I use in my delivery, look like it's a fastball and sell it like a fastball, but really take speed off of it. Those are the things that you really only learn with experience. I mean, um, Luis Castillo's got one of the best changeups in all of baseball, right? He didn't learn that overnight. He didn't go one winter and then come back the next winter and had a Luis Castillo changeup. No, it took a long time. Um, Mario Soto, back in my day, the same way. Tom Browning, uh, uh, going along the line of some of the pitchers that have been with the Reds, uh, Chris Rietzma had a terrific changeup. But it took him a long, long time. It is probably the most difficult pitch to throw uh, consistently. It was so difficult, really, for Homer Bailey that he never he decided never to throw one. He couldn't get it, so he stopped working on it. So he started throwing a split-finger fastball. Tyler Malley, the same way. I, in my opinion, Malley never gave himself enough time to, to get it down because anybody can throw it with enough work, and I think Hunter Green is willing to put in the work. So what's the best way – to, to add a pitch like that, to work on a pitch like that? Is it a, a pure off-season endeavor? Is it just a spring training endeavor? Can you work on adding a pitch in season? I mean, what does that look like for a, a pitcher to try and expand their arsenal? You know, that's a good question. And I think the answer to that is playing catch. Every time you play catch, you have a reason. Uh, you have to throw the ball exactly where you want to. You want to get your arm in the right spot. You want to feel comfortable, nice and effortless. Uh, when you're working on a changeup, you can do that when you're playing catch. You can do it all season long. You can do it in the off season. Chris Reitzma used to tell me that he would learn a changeup by throwing long toss and throwing his changeup long toss. I used to throw my curveball long toss, and uh, just so I could get my muscle memory to the point where uh, I could really bring my arm through very quickly with full effort and get that spin coming off the ball. And I think the changeup's the same way. It takes a lot of effort. I don't think you need to be on the mound. You don't have to have a pitching coach with you. It just means that you need to grab the baseball and throw it like a fastball, but have it come out slower. And he'll figure out what grip feels the best, what release point feels the best, where his foot needs to land, all the things that come to play. But you don't need a coach standing next to you to learn a changeup. You just need to know how it feels coming out of your hand, and repetition is the only way to get it. What was it that set Hunter Green up for that awesome performance that he turned in to finish off the season? And why does Nick Lodolo look like the best of the three rookie pitchers? That's coming up right after this. Because the numbers just don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe Home Security to protect their home. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. I know because I use Simply Safe in my own home. They protect you with cutting edge security technology powered by 24 7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. Here's why I love it it's super customizable. 
not a situation where you have to purchase things in order to get things that you want. You don't have to go buy, you know, like 20 different things and you only really wanted like five or six of them. You can customize exactly what you need for your home. Plus the system integrates well within your home and it's an easy self-install. It's, this isn't like a bulky unit. It's not going to damage or mess up the feng shui of your home's design. Plus, you don't have to worry about scheduling somebody to come out and enter, install the thing because it is easy for you to install in your house on your time. And it can move with you even after you install it. So if you move houses relatively soon after you install your Simply Safe system, then Simply Safe is easy to take off the wall. It's easy to remove from where you've put it and take it to your new place. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and you'll get your first month for free. That's simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB to learn more. There's no safe. Like Simply Safe. Coming up tomorrow, Steve and Chris Welsh will change their focus to the batter's box and whether the Reds should move on from Jose Barrero and Nick Senzel. You're not going to want to miss that. But hey, let's jump back into our conversation as he finishes up looking at Hunter Green and starts talking a little bit about Nick Lodolo. What was your opinion on where Hunter was as we entered, say, the final third of the season? When, when, when the season started, he had that great start in Atlanta, that really good debut. He went out to Dodger Stadium, had a great start, and things kind of fell off the table for a little while after that. And then that that one-third end of the season, he really seemed to be starting to put it together. And you talked about that uh, a little bit just a second ago, but what were the differences, do you think? Was it just really about repetition and learning hitters, or, or, or what was the difference there? Well, I, I think to me he got his hand up a little bit more. If you look at some slow-motion action, and the telling thing for me is exactly when the pitcher's foot hits the ground, his stride foot, in, Hunter cases, in Hunter's case, it's his left foot. Where is his hand? And those that were the, you know, the naysayers about Hunter Green were saying, well, he's got a flat fastball. And he basically had kind of flat arm syndrome. And that's something that where his, his arm was flat when your foot hit the ground. I think Derek Johnson worked with him a little bit. His hand got up a little bit higher. You get the feeling that you're pitching downhill. Uh, Derek Johnson had some drills that he had Corbin Burns and, uh, and Woodruff use when he was with Cap, uh, Milwaukee to help you learn how to pitch downhill. And for me, that's what it looked like the difference was for Hunter Green. He was pitching downhill towards the end of the year, that he was not pitching downhill. He was pitching more flat earlier in the year. Now it's kind of like pitching talk. I, I can't get in there and talk the analytics with the edutronic cameras and so on. But um, <clears throat> I can tell you that uh, you've got to stay behind the baseball and get the feel like you're pitching downhill, even if you're pitching up in the zone. You want to stay behind the baseball and not flat on it. And I think that he got that. And I think the other thing is that he realized that he can't throw his fastball at 101 miles an hour at the knees because there's no movement there. Uh, he's got too much backspin. And I think that, that that fastball plays much better when it's up in the zone. In fact, it has to be up in the zone to play well or else it's going to get hit. So that would lead me, if I'm you know, advising Hunter Green, and I'm, I'm sure Derek Johnson is doing the same thing, is that you know, not every pitch has to be a 100% effort. Tom Seaver used to say, I'll pitch at 90% effort and I'll save that 10% for when I need it. 
my college coach, Robin Roberts, who was a fastball pitcher, told me that he would throw the first seven innings of a major league game with nothing but fastballs. And then he would start to to move in his other stuff in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. So <clears throat> I think Hunter Green are going to get that too. He's going to learn how to throw a two-seamer a little bit, get him off the plate. He doesn't have to throw it 100 miles an hour. He can throw it at 94 and be very effective. So that all comes with experience, with repetition. The kid is very smart. He's getting good coaching from the Reds. I think it's going to be a good experience. Well, he was one of uh, a three-headed rookie monster in this Reds rotation. Uh, as bad as the season was at times, it was always exciting to tune in because you had these young guys on the mound. So let's let's move to to the next one, and that is Nick Lodolo because uh, he really had me excited all year. I felt like every start that he came out, he was just better than the last. You know, he had his debut where there was clearly some nerves at play, and he had his family in the stands, and and you could tell that he was a little off his game in that start, but. Every start after that seemed to just get better and better and better. Uh, let's kind of do the same exercise with Nick Lodolo. Take me through what you saw by way of his development from the beginning of 2022 until well, the I end. Think, you know, Lodolo has pitched a lot more at a higher level than Hunter Green had. Uh, Hunter Green didn't pitch in high school. He comes into minor leagues. They're very careful with his arm, how much he's going to pitch. You know, they're more concerned about how hard he's throwing than – whether he's getting hitters out. Lodolo comes out of a big-time college program at TCU, um, highly scouted, highly regarded, polished because he's playing against good college players. And, uh, you know, that, that's that's equivalent to about A ball at least, sometimes a little bit higher. Um, so he, he had a pretty good idea of what he needed to do. He already had all three pitches, his fastball, changeup, um, and, you know, and, and that big slurvy slider of his. Um, so it was a matter of refining that stuff and learning scouting reports and being able to repeat what the rigors of a season are when you start in April and you end in, you know, in October. Um, so those are the things that you learn uh, that he learned as he came along. And I was delighted to see uh, how he bounced back from his, uh, his stint on the injured list uh, where he threw the ball very hard. He was throwing 95. What I like most about watching Lodolo is that it doesn't seem – I watch the hitters a lot of times. I, you know, you can scout on the pitching rubber or you can scout at home plate. And the hitters will tell me how they see a guy. And he doesn't get – guys don't see it. They take pitches that are right down the middle. Um, it, it, he hides the ball well. He's long and lanky. He's fluid. Uh, he's got a lot of ingredients to be a great pitcher. I think he is going to be an outstanding major league pitcher really soon. One of the pitches he really had working for him was that back foot slider. And, and we saw it actually hit a lot of back foots through the course of the season. You know, he hit, you know, more than his fair share of batters. But I mean, I think that's why they call it the back foot slider, because that's exactly where it goes. Uh, as far as we talked with Hunter about adding pitches, Lodolo, you know, as you mentioned, a little bit more refined, probably has his arsenal already. Would you agree with that? And which one of those pitches do you think is going to be his his go to kill pitch? What is he going to be working on this offseason? I'm not so sure you have your arsenal as a pitcher until you have two speeds on your breaking ball. And I think that's the next step for him. You know, you have uh, which you kind of flip in there for a strike and then you have a put away slider, which is that back foot breaking ball. You know, the one bad thing about the back foot breaking ball is that he did hit so many. He may have even led the league and hit by hit by pitch. I, I'm not sure. But um, you're, you're here, put yourself in, in his shoes on the mound. You're here, you got a, you got a big 
tough right-handed hitter in there. You got him on a two-strike count. You want to put him away. You throw your best slider. Um, and he takes it and it hits him in the back foot. Now, instead of strike three or a one-and-two count or a two-and-two count, you got a guy at first base. So the penalty for that pitch is, to me, is very severe. Um, I would like to see him tighten that breaking ball up a little bit. Um, I told him, to, you know, when we went to Philadelphia, uh, I said, hey, uh, have you ever heard of Steve Carlton? So we uh, look him up and then look up some videos of Carlton because he's got the same kind of slider that you do, except it has a little bit more downward break. And he got a lot of strikeouts with it, obviously, and pretty great pitcher. So I think that it's always worth refining. But I'm, I'm not completely sold that that's the only breaking pitch he should have. I really think that he should have probably another breaking pitch to go along with that. And that would uh, really enhance his stuff. So something with a little more uh, 12 to 6 movement on yeah, it versus the and, and it 10 to 5. It doesn't take much to get there. I mean, that's something that, you know, you don't want to throw a lot of too much stuff on, on a young man's plate. I mean, he's trying to get big league hitters out, for goodness sakes, and they're good, and the umpires are not given the corners and, and all the things that are going on with you being in the big leagues the first time. You want to make sure that that confidence stays big. But I think the next step for him is exactly that, is to – you know, um, design a little bit different breaking pitch and to use that changeup a little bit better. It seemed early on that Graham Ashcraft was going to lead this rotation. What made him so dominant so early is what we're going to discuss next. Before we jump back into our conversation with Chris Welsh and Steve Offenbaker, you can follow the podcast on all platforms, including right here on YouTube. If this is your first time watching us, thank you. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you click the bell to get notified when we have new content for you. Also, make sure that you're following the podcast um, and you're following us on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at LockedOnReds. You can follow Steve at S. Offenbaker with two Fs. And you can follow me at Jeff Carr with three Fs. All right, let's jump back into the rest of today's episode as we look at Graham Ashcraft and Alexis Diaz. So the third rookie in this rotation was probably, I mean, for me, the biggest mm. surprise of the season, and that's Graham Ashcraft. You know, we spent so much time in the offseason talking about Hunter Green and talking about Nicoladolo that that Graham Ashcraft really didn't get very much coverage at all heading into the season. And then he kind of, you know, uh, you know, came in by storm. And so, you know, once again with him, uh, just like the other two, Chris, tell me a little bit about what you saw in him and his development from beginning 2022 to the end. Well, this guy is as good a bulldog on the mound as I've ever seen anybody. I mean, he, you and me, and he wants it to fight right now. And he's got that five ounce baseball and that's, what's going to make him really good. And, you know, the fact that he throws nearly 100 miles an hour and he's got extreme cut on that fastball, natural cut, is good. But it's also bad because it's hard to – it means he's he's a little bit off-center when he's throwing it. It's going to inhibit his ability to throw a changeup. It's going to inhibit his ability to throw a two-seamer to run into right-handers. And if you look at the splits on Gashcraft, you find out that left-handers didn't do very well against him at all. He jammed them all the time. Uh, they couldn't figure out how to get that – that cut fastball off of their hands. Uh, but but right-handers had a pretty good way with him, which is really kind of odd for a guy that has that good of stuff. So, you know, it, it's he came through the system very quickly. You know, he pitched a couple of different places in college. He he showed in a – out-stuffed everybody, 
which is what Lodolo did, which is what Hunter Green does, which is what a number of other guys can do on their way up. Because they swing at anything in the minor leagues. The big leagues, they don't swing at anything. So you've got to be around the plate. And I think that he's just got a little bit more learning to do. I think he's going to be really good. But um, I think that he's also a guy that uh, uh, is going to need some experience and some repetition in order to, to figure out exactly what his repertoire is going to be so that he can go through the lineup you know, more than one time. Do you think he just ran out of gas towards the end of the season? You know, he had that that injury stint uh, and then came back and made a couple starts there at the end. And and he wasn't the same guy after the injury stint. Was he was was his arm just done for the year? Yeah, I think it probably could have been. You know, the one thing you have to remember as fans and as broadcasters and so on, writers, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. I mean, we we may think that we're smart, but we're not informed. And uh, we don't know what's going on in the clubhouse. We don't know what's going on in the training room. Uh, we don't know any of that stuff. So we go by what we see on the field. And sometimes we make wrong assumptions. And I'm an, I'm an example of, of a guy that does that. And, you know, I have to keep reminding myself that, you know, there's something going on here. I don't know what it is. I can't speculate at this point. So I don't know whether he got tired or whether it's just one of those things where the league just decided, hey, you know what, we're going to lay off this pitch until he throws it for a strike. And, uh, you know, he, he struggled a little bit towards the end, but I, it doesn't diminish for me anything about him because I, I love his attitude. He's willing to work. All three of the kids that you brought up, you know, their attitudes are the most important thing and they're willing to work and they've got great talent. So that's just a great combination. I think they get good, they get good coaching and uh, they're going to be just fine. It's going to be some, some uh, kind of nice run, hopefully that they can stay healthy couple more pitchers just real quick that I want to touch on before I talk to you about some some hitters. Uh, the next guy is Alexis Diaz. You know, rookie year, last guy in the bullpen when the team breaks camp in, from spring training. And through the course of this season, he just got better and better. And and really, by the end, was the the shutdown arm in a, in a bullpen. I mean, let's face it, in a bullpen that was not all that great. But Alexis Diaz definitely showed us that he could be the guy in this bullpen heading into 2023. You know, there were a number of people in the Reds camp in spring training that mentioned him uh, before I ever even saw him throw a bullpen. They said, wait till you see this guy. You know, and then they would say his numbers are off the charts. So I want to see him first, and then I'll look at the numbers. And sure enough, his numbers are off the charts as far as his spin rate on his fastball, spin rate on his breaking pitch. I mean, they were elite. I mean, top 5% uh, in all of baseball. So he's got a lot to work with. But he's also got a lot going on in his delivery, too, And uh, which what I mean is a lot of arms and legs, a lot of movement, a lot of uh, twisting and turning that isn't necessarily you know, making him very efficient on the mound. Um, but he's got a great arm, he's got a great attitude, and he's willing to work. Uh, look at the, the path that his, his brother took. It took him a while before he became, you know, the Edwin Diaz that he is right now with Timmy mm-hmm. Trumpet out there. Uh, he had some rough years in, in New York. Uh, so I, I think that you have to acknowledge that, that he's still a young guy, that he needs to learn his delivery um, a little bit more because it, what – brought him down when he did fail was wildness, either wildness outside the zone or wildness inside the zone. But he's got incredible stuff and he's a great kid. And uh, I'm sure glad the Reds have him. 
last pitcher I want to throw at you just to kind of get your thoughts on, because I'm not sure what his role is going to be moving forward. And that's Connor Overton. You know, he had a, a dynamite may before that injury, and then he missed a significant portion of the season, uh, made it back there at the end. And, and they used him as a piggyback with Graham Ashcraft. And I wonder uh, if he maybe has a bullpen role going forward. Could he compete for a fourth or fifth rotation spot? What do you see for him as we move towards 2023 i would imagine that he's going to compete for a starting spot i mean there are going to be some spots open and we talk about you know the top three hunter green lodolo ashcraft as if they're going to be you know from april 1st all the way to the end of the year and they're going to make 30 starts they're never going to be injured and so on that never happens i mean look at all the great uh teams that have had these trio of prospects coming through and how many of them actually have come through i mean you can even go back uh to you know to carry wood and mark Pryor. how long did that last right mm-hmm. you know back er- earlier than that would be the days of uh the mets when they had their hot three you know pulsifer and uh paul wilson and uh isringhausen i mean you know so the mets thought that they were going to have a threesome in, in their pitching rotation for the next 10 years and it just didn't work out like that so no matter how excited you are, you've got to temper your enthusiasm with some reality here because there are going to be some spots open next year on this pitching staff. And I think Connor Overton, if you believe that Kyle Hendricks can pitch in the major leagues and he's a pretty good pitcher for the Cubs, right? Then Connor Overton can pitch here too because he's the same guy. And um, so I, I wouldn't be, I'm never one of these pitchers that's going to eliminate a prospect because he doesn't throw hard. At that level, it doesn't matter to me. Get hitters out. Look at uh, I'm, I'm watching the um, the Yankees and the Astros, and Framber Valdez is pitching, and he, he's throwing nothing but curveball after curveball at 77 miles an hour, and the Yankees can't touch him. Every once in a while, he throws a fastball at 95. Well, the kid shows me that he's he knows how to pitch. Just get guys. Out. I'm not going to ask you how. I'm going to ask you how many as far as outs you get. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Lockdown Reds podcast. Coming up tomorrow, Steve and Chris will finish up their conversation about the 2022 Cincinnati Reds. They're going to look at the batter's box, guys with the bat, guys who were getting hits, guys out in the field, and whether or not the Reds should move on from Jose Barrero and Nick Senzel. That's coming up on tomorrow's Lockdown Reds podcast. Thanks, as always, for making us your first listen. Now go check out Lockdown Sports today. Peter Bukowski brings you all of the biggest news in the sports world in under 22 minutes each and every day on the Lockdown Sports Today podcast that's produced by yours truly. That's Lockdown Sports Today, just like Lockdown Reds, free and available on all platforms. You can trust us to be Lockdown Reds every single day.